Hi everyone, I'm Sarah Baker and this is Mama Stories. I created Mama Stories after seeing how impactful sharing stories can be in overcoming the challenges of motherhood. I am where I am today because of the stories of so many amazing strong mamas and I want to share that with every mom I can. So follow along to laugh, cry, and be empowered. Thanks for tuning in to today's show. Have you heard about how we are changing the story for moms? Mama Fund is a nonprofit organization that is dedicated to providing products, services, and education to moms in need. So check us out at mamafund.org. All right. Welcome to the show today, Janelle. Mm, Thank you. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Uh, So for those who don't know you, why don't you tell us a little bit about who Janelle is? Yeah. So um, I am the founder of Living Room Realty. And we are, um, I think, one of the first real estate companies in in the nation to be a B Corp. Um, We have about 130 brokers. We have a property management division. We have an all-female maintenance team. And um, I built that company in the depth of the recession at the same time as having my second daughter, Siri. Wow. Yeah. So I have, I'm the mom of two little girls. Um, They're about 17 months apart and best friends. Mm. Um, So yeah, so I'm a mom, I'm a business leader, and I'm currently serving as the president for the local chapter of our entrepreneurs organization. It's a global organization across the world for the support of entrepreneurs and I'm our current uh, Portland chapter president. Okay. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. You got your hands full. My hands full. Yeah. All right. So you were a mom of one, mm-hmm. almost two when you were starting yeah, living I, royalty? Yeah. I didn't realize I was pregnant with my second. It actually didn't occur to me that you could have a, I, I don't remember having sex. I think a lot of moms will probably remember that. Like <laughs> after you have a baby, it's like, it's just, like you were just so out of it. And yeah. um, my first daughter was still, she hadn't even started on solid food yet. She was just um, breastfeeding and kind of, you know, the old wives tale is that really until you kind of start weaning or the baby starts on food, should be really careful with contraception, but um, not me. <laughs> so uh, my, uh, my ex-husband and I actually spent a summer in Finland visiting his family and, um, getting to her citizenship and I thought I just had jet lag that I couldn't get over yeah god I just feel so tired so tired and by the end of the trip he was like I don't want to say anything because you seem really sensitive (laughs) (laughs) but you look pregnant I think you're pregnant so so I had already had plans in place to start living room and it was well underway and then came home and to have my midwife tell me yeah you're four months pregnant four months Mm -hmm. wow Mm mm-hmm all right. So how'd you do it? How'd you continue on being opening up this company in such a crazy time for real estate Yeah, and being pregnant? Well, I think it's interesting because uh, a lot of people are like, oh, you're so brave. You started this real estate company in the depth of the recession. And honestly, if things had not slowed down a bit, I just don't know how I really would have done it. Mm. So there's a lot of, and I try to remember that now, like I, I was on a plane this morning that was delayed and I just, my mantra is like, this is happening for me for a reason. Mm-hmm. There's a reason. And of course I got a call from you know, my daughter this morning that, um, her friend that was supposed to come over and give her a ride to school didn't show up and she's in tears. And I was like, I would have missed that call if I'd been on the plane, the plane been oh, on time, you know, yeah. and I was like, this is more important. This is where I want to be. But it's also, you know, that <laughs> proverbial plane, the 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 real estate crash. Um, I didn't see it. I really didn't see it coming when I started to think of the idea of living room. I just knew I just had such a passion for um, community building. I was at a real estate company that um, just didn't feel that aligned with my values anymore. Um, an incredible company. Their owner is still a mentor of mine, but we had started a green campaign Mm -hmm. that like we know green real estate, but we weren't recycling in our offices. So, Mm. you know, I stepped up to be like, can I, you know, can I lead a recycling program? Can we talk about what that means to be green inside? And, you know, and it was kind of like starting to find some leadership in those ways, but I was also bringing, you know, my daughter into work. I was, you know, I'm the sole income provider for my family. I'm also like, I was definitely going to be breastfeeding. That was like a non negotiable for me. So Mm -hmm. 
you know, every two hours I have to be breastfeeding. I'm working. So the baby was in the office with me and there was nowhere I felt really comfortable. And I just started looking around at like all the ways of like, wait, how can this be done to create more of a balance for, for women? How can this be done? That's just more in alignment with my own values as an environmentalist. How can this be done that, you know, the, the community that we're helping people find homes in, that we're supporting those people in those homes. And that should be like every vendor we have should be local. You know, the yeah. coffee that we're serving. I had uh, one of my main clients at the time was Stumptown Coffee, which is a start startup here in Portland, Oregon. And they were providing benefits, um, full benefits for their, for their baristas. And yeah. the baristas were finding this really amazing work-life balance. A lot of them... Um, were musicians and could go out on tour and come back and have jobs. And I was like, there's just a different way to do business. And I just started getting really fired up about that. So the vision for living room was in my head. And like, once you give birth, I think to a vision like that, you can't go back. And so um, my daughter, you know, finding out that I was pregnant was just like, well, it looks like, you know, it's a good thing. It's perfect timing because I've already, you know, I've got the wheels in motion. I'm going to be able to do this my way. And so it, it's hard to separate the two of them is it's like, did, you know, me having young children was really the reason that I had the courage to kind of step out mm-hmm. and go out and create my own thing because I had needs that nobody in the market was fulfilling. Yeah. Well, and I think breastfeeding is so huge because it's the hardest thing I mm-hmm. would say as for parents, like I, even if you do it and you do it successfully for five years or for a year, however long, or you do it for a week. It's so hard and trying and to add on work-life balance and the fact that most facilities don't have even just pumping rooms or a place where you could bring your child to help continue that bond. Like it's just, I'm so glad that you followed your passion to do something like that because that's so cool for moms to have that space. Well, the largest segment of the workforce, the largest growing segment of the workforce are moms with children under the age of two. Mm. So if we as employers don't address the needs of those, you know, those employees, I mean, I think it comes down to, do we care about our community? Do we care about the health of our children? There's a lot of studies that, you know, breastfeeding is if, you know, if it's possible for the mother and baby that it's, it, it produces the best possible health outcomes. Yeah. And it's, And so I think as employers, it's like, oh, wait, we, you know, this is, I I just don't, I just don't know that oftentimes like our idea of who the workforce is and who actually the workforce is are aligned. And go together. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They go together. And so, um, that's something that, um, yeah, I've advocated for, for a long time too, is just like trying to build awareness and like in the communities of entrepreneurs of like, Hey, we really got to make sure that we're taking care of women's we're taking care of our families, taking care of the health um, of our communities. And yeah. it really, it really starts with that. And like how, you know, how, how do we make that? And breastfeeding was funny. Like when, it, when I started the the business, I had a joke that the UPS man saw my boobs more often than my husband. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, you just, I just had to be, you know, signing for packages and answering the phone and like, it's happening, it's happening. And so yeah. just also realizing like, Oh, Oh, this is actually something that like our culture is not that familiar with or comfortable with, like seeing women like yeah. really in the workplace. Yeah, like re- really doing all the mom. I things. hope. Did you document that? Is there like <laughs> I? I, I want to see some like epic pictures of like UPS dropping off some packages <laughs> and you out. got boobs out feeding <laughs> yeah. a baby. Yeah, I love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I wanted to do so bad when I was a mom was breastfeed for a really long time. Yeah, I wanted it to be like this thing where people are like, oh, he's still breastfeeding. That's weird. I don't know. I really yeah. wanted to accomplish that. It didn't work out for us yeah. as long as I wanted, but my first ever public breastfeeding experience was so awful. <laughs> I would, I would have never guessed it. I didn't know yeah. it was so bad. Yeah. I'm thankful. I at least got to experience that. So now when I do see a mom in public breastfeeding, I can yeah. be like, wow, that is amazing that you can do that. Yeah. And whether they feel it or not, and they're showing it or not, like they can still do it yeah. in front of all these people and not feel ashamed because it is very, it felt very shaming for me, Yeah, which yeah. was weird. I know, right? The most natural thing. I, you know, it's, it, I, there are a lot of things with being a woman and being pregnant. You're like, no one told me this. <laughs> and, um, when I had my first daughter, I, my breasts were so engorged. She couldn't mm. fully she couldn't fully get on, you know, on there because they were just so big and so tight, like, like, like trying to like latch onto a basketball. 
and I had a ton of milk and she had a Hoover latch, which all, all the things were yeah. there, but it was just that I didn't have enough understanding and no one in my, in, you know, my immediate family or my midwives really caught on to what was going on. So I wound up, um, getting, um, I had like the, basically my nipples were being torn from my breast tissue. I had huge cracks. I was using, um, my girlfriend came over and was like, oh my God. And we were using hydrogel wound dressings to, to put on the nipple and then soaking them with salt water. And, um, and you know, I'm one of the very lucky people that has an issue with breastfeeding because basically I just kind of lean over her face and milk would like gush out. I mean, there was so much milk coming, but I just couldn't get her to, to, to latch. And that's the darkest, I definitely darkest, scariest time in my entire life. I was just like, I want to do this, but the pain was so bad, excruciating. Mm. And so I called up a finally lactation specialist and made an appointment. I remember crying on the way there Mm. that was like, please let this be an answer. Please let this woman be able to help me. And like making, you know, making a deal with the great spirit. Like (laughs) I will dedicate my life to helping women (laughs) breastfeed if you'll help me. Um, But I, you know, she wound up, did I realize that the things that I were doing, some of the things that I were doing was actually making it worse. It was just like, you know, that I needed to soften my boobs so the baby could latch on. Yeah. But then also she recommended I went to a breastfeeding support group and that, I think anytime we're in community, it's so healthy. It was such a good reminder of like, you think you have problems and you do have problems, but get together with a group of people. Yeah. You'll get some perspective. You'll get some support. And then, you know, and for me, there was like women that, you know, the babies were starving. Like they weren't getting enough milk or baby wouldn't take yeah. milk. Or there were so many other issues. I was like, oh, I'm, you know, I, I got this. Like I'm, I'm good. I'm supported. This is a group of women. And, and I was also just really taken though that whole time by never here. Mm-mm. there's nothing you know there's no I don't know there's no late night commercials for like 1-800 got problems breastfeeding yeah you right know? gosh that's <laughs> for sure I would 100% agree that we oftentimes as moms do the darkest of motherhoods in isolation isolation yeah. like we just and I think it's because we're afraid that it's us and that mm-hmm. we're broken and something's wrong with the way we are doing it or we're too afraid to ask for help yeah. And so there's just all these barriers we put up when we just, if we sat in a room with women, yeah. we would learn that we're all going through it just at different seasons yeah. in different ways. Yeah. That's like really why we started Mama Stories is because I'd be in these groups with women. I'd be like, man, no one told me we were all feeling this way. Yeah. Like I, I thought it was just me. And now I'm feeling that perspective, like you were mentioning. Yeah. Like, it's not that hard for me. I need to have some more perspective, but also like, it's okay that I'm feeling this way Yeah, and other people feel it too. Yeah. 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 Getting women, I mean, women supporting other women. It's again and again, I come back to that as a principle in my life, just how bad we need community. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Was it easier to breastfeed your second? Yeah. No problems. It was yeah. just like, you know, had that been my first experience, you yeah. know, <laughs> but, um, but yeah. then you wouldn't be changing the world for no. breastfeeding moms. Yeah. So right. You know, maybe that's it's why you been, went through it. Why is why, why, it's why you it. got your delayed plane too. Yep. I know, all right. It's all the things that's happening to me for a reason. All right. So now you have, we're going to go back in time. So yeah. now you have two under two. Yep. Your baby comes, you've got yep. living room reality yeah. up and running. Yep. How do you do it? Do you take time off with your yeah. second or? No, I really, I, I didn't really, I had a, um, um, it was, yeah, that's like, it's funny. The work-life balance, which I think is hilarious. I think it's more like surfing. You're just trying right. to stay up and ride the wave. But, um, she, yeah, she came and there was like a combination between, you know, nannies and dad and, mm-hmm. and, you know, and late night calls to friends like, Oh, help me. But, um, I kept her in the office with me working. So I'll kind of paint the the picture, you know, we, we, I was moving in furniture at nine months pregnant, you know, we were like moving in and just like, we better get this, this done. I wrote a deal and told my assistant, I think go have a baby. She was like, wait, like now, we were at my house. I was like, yep, now. <laughs> Had a baby a couple hours later. So wow. um, we, you know, it was like Siri came and the business was rolling. And um, 
And the market had totally crashed. I mean, it was just crashing. Nobody knew where they were at. And so here's me way too busy to be able to even pay attention to what NPR is saying, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the end of real estate and like, turn that off, turn him and him up. Um, but I would just ride into work and I was like, I, I don't have a choice. I have got to make this work. And so as in, uh, I had the commercial building right on a really busy um, retail district in Portland on Alberta street. And um, we were right next door to um uh, PBS had just voted the restaurant next to us as the second best breakfast in America. So people were flying to Port. People love to go up to Portland. So every yeah. tourist was flying to Portland, waiting in line. Portland's famous for our lines to get in to eat anywhere. I saw them already this oh, morning. Yes. Yes, yes, they're everywhere. So their giant line would be right outside of our office window. And, you know, we had pictures of houses up. We had people coming in. And, you know, the market was crashing, but people were still moving to Portland. And, yeah. and then I think too, you know, when we talk about the market crashing, it really hurt a lot of people with large portfolios, mm-hmm. but for those of us who didn't have big stock portfolios, it was like, we still had the same, you know, the kind of same jobs, the same payment, probably, you know, the same kind of meager amount of savings. We're still buying those first time, first time homes. And so we were busy. I had the biggest year I'd had in my entire career that year. And I think that a lot of that had to do with just my attitude of being open and being positive and getting to it. And also I started attracting a lot of brokers who wanted to come work at living room because they saw it was a place that they could make it work. They're like, oh, Janelle just left, you know, the top firm and in Portland, I was one of the highest producing realtors there and I left and here they see me. I'm just like a, like a visible symbol of making it work, of juggling it. And like, and you know, and a lot of agents that like love the business, you know, maybe they didn't have the same amount of money for childcare or some of the other things they did because business was down. If you were a good agent, a lot of good agents didn't do well that year because they were telling people to hold on, mm. you know, established, they had a established clientele and they're like, this isn't the time to sell. We, we should ride it out. And so, um, so they knew they, it was going to be a friendly place that they could bring kids in and they could make mm. it work and that there was community and the attitude in the office was like, we're going to make this work mm. where the attitude in a lot of the other brokerages at that time had gotten pretty toxic. Yeah. You know, you started to see how many people were in the business that just didn't really want to be in the business anymore if the money wasn't as easy, Yeah. you know? So it was like, I immediately kind of put into place you know, a framework around recruiting too. It was like, okay, do you give back to the community? Cause I know if you like give back to the community, you're going to do the right thing for the community and people will come and support you. Like you're grounded here. Right. Um, and you know, how's your attitude? Cause like, I can't afford to be around you financially or spiritually if you can't find the joy in it. Yeah. Cause it's not going to get any easier for right. a while. So, you know, those were the two primary things. And then it was like, cause I was like, okay, you know, I'm willing to yeah, you know, have you come here and help support you and you help support me and let's, let's see if we can build a really different kind of real estate company. So it started there 10 years ago and, you know, it was me and then it was another and then it was another. And now, you know, we're up to about 130 brokers. That's we, amazing. I know our office has the number one market share in the city of Portland. Um, it's, it's amazing. I have, you know, the, on average, my, you know, my agents are far, far outperform other brokers and and I really think it comes back to these are leaders who find joy through service yeah and they're the type of brokers who have you know really sustainable businesses where people you know repeat clientele they're not threatened by um you know all all the um tech that's getting into the real estate field Mm. like they know that the care that they give to their clients and their community is not going to be replaced so you know they just really keep focused and do a great job well my husband's in real estate so I Mm -hmm. know that (laughs) I know that buying a home and selling a home can be really scary yeah and so I would agree that that is as a consumer I understand there's like the business side of it right like what is your competitors doing but the consumer side of it like they just want a really nice person who's going to be honest and care for them and make sure that their house is selling yeah. correctly or that they're buying a house correctly. Like yeah. that's really all that they want to know. Right. 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 I mean, the other tools are good, I'm sure for business, but from a consumer standpoint, they just want an yeah. honest face. Right. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, you want to make sure that, you know, someone's really watching out for like you personally, you're going to wind up in the right community for for you and your family and that the your bottom line is being taken care of really closely too and um 
yeah, and I think that that's something I'm just so proud of, of Living Room. And we've won a lot of awards um, throughout our 10 years. And one of those was the Oregon Ethics and Business Award. I'm just so proud of that because it's like, wow, the fact that real estate and ethics yeah. are coming together. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, is like something that, um, you know, for a, for a business, I think says just, you know, just says a lot about the caliber of our agents and and how they've been giving back to their community and how they're watching out for people here. Yeah, yeah that's and, so cool. And that you can do that and still perform, be yeah. profitable and be highest producing and that, yeah. that, that, you know, it's not that horrible, like shark, um, mentality of like, of yeah. like, Oh yeah. Top salespeople. And they're just gunning for it. It's like, actually no top, these top salespeople have been doing it cause they're, they're really taking care of the people in their community. Yeah. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. So your girls are older now. Yeah. They yep. are. They're 10 and 12. 10 and 12. Yep. Okay. Yep. So how do you do it? You own this company that's obviously growing and continuously taking up more of your time. Yeah. And then you have these girls that are in this really influential, influential age yeah. where yeah. they probably need their mom. Yeah. So how do you balance they all that? They do. Um, you know, again, the balance is like a tricky <laughs> word, but, um, I, I, I don't know. There are a couple of things kind of came to my mind when you, when you asked that question, one of them, my background is in music and art. And so I have just lived the life of like a hustler, like where you are just like putting things together creatively and making it work. Mm -hmm. And I would still say I'm probably living my life pretty artistically by <laughs> putting together a lot of things and we're making it work. Mm -hmm. And something about my girls is they're, they're both really independent. And so they help. I mean, this morning, um, I'm on a plane coming back from San Francisco and my daughters are here and they've got, they've got busy schedules. They're both competitive synchronized swimmers. They both play music. And, um, you know, and Tula calls me and she's like, okay, here's my bus time. And here's what I'd, I'd like to do this afternoon to try to get to practice. And like, she comes to me already fully organized. And I realize you know, part of me, there's a little part of me that's like, oh, I wish I could coddle her. I wish she didn't have to do these things. But then mm -hmm. another part of me is like, well, she's like an independent, yeah. empowered 12 year old. Like she's yeah. going to go into her teenage years knowing like, I got this, I can get around town and I know how to take care of myself and I know where I need to be. So I would say, you know, they definitely help that they've, um, and, um, and we spend a lot of, you know, we spend a lot of time together. They're really interested in seeing, you know, I heard, I heard something once that kids, it's not the amount of time that you spend, but that they see you really happy in yeah. your own life you yeah. know, for working parents. And I think that that's true. They see that they have this mom who's like, you know, engaged in her community that they've gotten really amazing opportunities through being able to, you know, come with me to work. Um, and I see them emulate some of those things. We write a, a newsletter for, for work and the girls, um, over the summer, like, uh, three summers ago, started their own newsletter for the neighborhood. You oh, know, and that's they were, so cool. yeah, and they were like going out and then the feedback that they got from neighbors, neighbors were, I mean, we were literally had neighbors showing up at our front door crying, just like, this was so amazing. Or I used to do this thing with my sister or dropping off money so they could pay for toner. And they oh had a, gosh. um, they had a, um, uh, my younger daughter, she has an advice column called spaghetti animal and you can write into spaghetti animal with your questions about your pet. And so she had like neighborhood dogs writing her emails and oh my gosh, that is so cute. It was really cool. So I, you know, I, there's, there's times I think as a mom, you feel guilty because it's just like, oh, you know, that you're like, oh, would I be the perfect mom if I was at home baking cookies yeah, sure. or am I their perfect mom? Because they're, you know, like they're writing newsletters, they're independent. Yeah. They kind of, they, you know, the ceiling for them is pretty high on what they think that they can accomplish. Um, and I've always just put them first too. Like I designed a company around, it, you know, being able to breastfeed them and have them there in the office. I mean, really yeah. come back to that fundamental thing. And then, you know, and um, that they could come in after school or that they are always, you know, the families of living room employees, they know that they're always invited inside of the space. And yeah. I am a team builder. So that is something also I've always been really, really good about delegating and handing things off and building team because I don't want to do it. I don't need to do it all. Like mm -hmm. I, um, 
what it's Brene Brown said. She has a great quote about like being like busy is not a badge of honor. Yeah. And, um, and I really take that to heart because it's like, I, you know, I have someone that, that, well, today when you came to our house for this interview, you know, I have a woman that I hire that my kids don't need nannying anymore, but we sure need help with meals, you know, and having someone just like, just really realize like, okay, this, this piece off my plate would just help tremendously. Yeah. Or I have an executive assistant and she knows like part of her role was picking up, you know, Siri getting her ready for school pictures while I'm traveling. Like yeah. that's just how it is to support an entrepreneur, entrepreneur mom. And for me not to feel um, shame or embarrassed or judge myself for needing a lot of help outside of what might look like corporate activity Mm. so it's like I'm the leader I need a lot of support and that looks like this for me yeah you know I mean I think we've had secretaries buying wives their anniversary presents for for years right yeah (laughs) so what is the equivalent of that for for a mom leader and a lot of times that's like grocery shopping and making sure the kids like got from point A to point B or yeah. brought them into the office. So. Well, and I think it's so hard because there just aren't a lot of examples of that. Mm-mm. And a lot of times businesses that um, you do see female leaders, maybe not so much female CEOs, but female leaders, oftentimes they're up against other men. Yeah. And so their goal isn't to say, I need all this help. Maybe they do that more silently. They do have help or they do have all these things, but they don't wear that as a badge of honor, which they should, yeah. <laughs> because they're figuring out what works for their family because the men just aren't having to do that. Yeah. They're not having to pick up that role. So I think it's really good that you shared that because sometimes when, even for me, like when I hear you talk about how you do all this stuff, I'm kind of like, but really, how do you do it? And yeah. so by sharing some of those pieces, it's just so important to be like, this is just what works for my family. Yeah. Like your family, it might look different. Maybe your husband's a chef, so yeah. he does all the cooking. Or maybe you don't have a husband, and so you do all the cooking because you like yeah. to, but you get help in other ways. Like I think that it's just so important as moms, even if it is that you're a stay-at-home mom or you're a working mom or you're a mompreneur or whatever it is, that you just figure out what works for your family. Yeah. Cause it's so important for moms in any of those roles to get their own time. Yes. And to not feel like they have to do it all. No, I know. I, I wish, I think that I don't have a lot of regrets in life, but the one thing this came up actually in a, in a business um, meeting that I was in, we were doing kind of a vulnerability, vulnerability share with a group of leaders. And um, it was, you know, if you could go back and do, something over in your life, what would it be? And actually the, the thing that came up for me was I wish I would have asked for more help when, you know, when the kids were smaller. I remember going over to a friend's house and um, uh, we went for a walk on a Saturday and she had a, a nanny over for the Saturday. And I was like, well, neither you or your husband have to work today. Why is she here? Mm. She's like, so we can do things that we want to do today. I was like, oh, <laughs> it occurred to me, you know, like there's this, I had a, I don't know where that came from, but like a idea in my head that like, well, if I'm not at work, then I have to be taking care of the kids. But it's not always the thing for any of us. Yeah, there are plenty of times if moms burn out, kids would rather be with their favorite babysitter. Yeah, you know, having fun or going to the pool or doing whatever, and then mom gets some downtime, and then when we're back together, I'm really present in there. And so, um, I think allowing for ourselves to ask for ask for help and. Um, and, you know, and also kind of just evaluating, like, do I want to afford the bigger house or the things or whatever it is, or keep life simpler and bring in more help? Yeah. You know, like Mm -hmm. I just, I think the experience and, um, I've been really thinking a lot lately and talking about this with some of my girlfriends is this idea of masculinity versus femininity. And that doesn't really have to do with gender, but Um, I think that I'm a pretty masculine person. I'm very results oriented. I'm very, very driven. And when you do something and like the masculine, it's, it's for the effect it's for the results. And when you do things for the feminine, it's the experience. Mm. And as I've gotten older and as I'm spending time with these beautiful women and as they're developing, I'm realizing the experience is more important than the results. Mm. I think maybe I had things to prove to myself and I've, I have definitely achieved a level of success that I, you know, I could not have dreamed of as a kid. And now I think I like, it's, it's like, okay, 
all right, you climb that mountain, but like, what, what about, how does it feel? What's the experience like? And yeah. I heard a, a TED talk where a woman was talking about, you know, if you drink a cup of coffee for the results, that's the masculine way of drinking it. But if you drink a cup of coffee because you enjoy the ritual and the flavor, that's the feminine way of drinking it. And so I'm trying to bring in even just some more feminine into my life. Like what is, you know, what, how can the experience of this be better? And I, and I think it's the reason that really my company is as successful as it is too, is because I did bring a lot more feminine into the real estate brokerage is that mm -hmm. people were like, oh, this is not only are, do, does someone care about the results that, that I generate, that I'm a top performer, but that also they're building systems so that the experience of working in real estate is better for myself, is mm -hmm. better for my children, and that I'm being acknowledged for more than just my my sales production but also like what I'm giving back to the community and how I can show up and that you know we're we definitely lean far out into our meetings into vulnerability and sharing and caring for each other and I think a lot of that I think that's why um I just think that's why you're seeing a lot more um as more women get involved into the business world that you're, you're seeing like more businesses where people you know the experience of working yeah. is becoming a lot more important yeah. well and it is like we're mm -hmm. all just humans yeah and we go through daily experiences whether it be happy sad good but whatever it is yeah. yeah and so having a place at work where you can feel all those feelings and mm -hmm. it's okay yeah I think is important, man or woman, like yep. aside, right? Yep. It's just yeah. that those feelings are there yep. and you're going to have them. I used to work um, for a company that was, I, I mean, I think all companies are pretty male oriented, Yeah, but yeah. I tell, it totally worked in a man's world. And my feedback I always got as a leader, as an individual contributor, all these things is that I was too emotionally connected to people, that I became like people's <laughs> friends too fast and um, I even had a female mentor one time ask me if I wanted to be known as bubbly or if I wanted to be known as the office bitch. And I was like, well, oh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, what kind of choice is that? <laughs> well, is yeah. bubbly bad? Cause people yeah. call me that a lot and yeah. I don't want to be called the other word. And, yeah. and I remember these moments very vividly in my mind where I just constantly could not meet these expectations of, I can't not be human Right. I can't just not wear my emotions on my sleeve. It's just who I am. Yeah. And I don't want to be, I don't want to be rude to earn a place at the table. Like that's no. just not how I yeah. work. And I always felt so discouraged and it's been so nice doing something for myself now where I can yeah. be like, okay, if I get emotional, like it's my emotion, I can feel it. And yeah. there's no one around me telling me I can't be friends with somebody or I can't. Yeah have an emotion about it's just so crazy what we yeah. say to people and not just women but just people who have these emotions yeah. right we just try yeah. to like stuff them yeah and say like you got to separate business and personal and I'm kind of like but I'm not separated from that no and like, I, I am know. my per I am a person and I am in business like why why do those have to be separated yeah, they don't and I think all the research shows like the more passionate a leadership leader is and the more connected they are to their personal why the more that the more people want to follow them, the more successful they'll be. And so I think we're shifting and that's just being, yeah, that, that it's evolving, but I think there's still so many messages that we get both men and women that like somehow to be caring or emotional or yeah, is somehow at odds with results Yeah, where I really find that to be, the opposite. I mean, I think my company is living proof that it's the opposite. It's like, no, actually, we're going to have a company based on taking care of people. Yeah. And that's going to get the results we want. We'll focus on the experience. And then we'll just trust the results will come rather than focusing on the results. And then afterwards, trying to backfill in an experience. You know, it's one of the things I'm super proud of of our company is that um, – is that the majority of all of our managers um, are women of color. You know, to attract a diverse workforce, to attract women into the workplace, you're just going to have to think, you know, to attract top talent. You're going to have to think differently. It's mm -hmm. not the same old rules, but I think that, you know, we're seeing so many companies trying to diversify, trying to attract more female leadership. And it's like, well, you can't just plug 
people into an existing system that's really not working. It's not working for the men. Yeah. And it's certainly not yeah. going to work for these incredible empowered women that are going to call bullshit on, yeah. on, mm-hmm. <laughs> on for sure. systems, you know, yeah. it's like, no, I actually, I know how to do it. I trust myself and I'm going to do it my way. And that's not how it looks. Yeah. You know, so I, I am so excited to live in this shift Yeah, because I do absolutely. think it's so cool. And I'm yeah. grateful that I got to work in an establishment before the shift so yes. that I can really appreciate <laughs> so you know. all the changes that are yeah. happening. Right. And yeah. understand the work that it takes even for somebody like you to start mm-hmm. a realty company like that. I mean, yeah. that's a lot of work. It's, it is a lot of work. And you know, it's interesting because I don't think I was a person that was really, I had really ever kind of woken up to um, sexism. My mom was um, very much an, an activist and the, in the 70s and 80s and you know and I just kind of thought oh that's my mom's fight that was my mom's generation's fight Mm -hmm. and when I started I didn't I didn't um really run into a lot of sexism in my career as a realtor but when I started the real estate brokerage I immediately noticed things that I just had not been aware of before I mean one of the things I got constantly for the first three years of the company is oh living room realty I've heard of them now that company's just for women right we had like half of the roster mm. were men. And I was like, why do they keep saying that? And it didn't dawn on me for a few few years later. Like, oh, because we're all used to seeing women in real estate. But no one in this city is used to seeing a woman run the brokerage. Mm. That's different. If I look at all the other brokers, oh, okay, I'm the only female face. Now I get that. You know, mm. or every time I walked into a room, um, with, I own some commercial property with a partner and I'd walk in the room with him and people always assume he owned living room realty. Oh, we have two investors coming. One of them is owner of living room realty. Well, of course, boom, they're going to assume it's the man. And it just, after a while, it just, it's exhausting or being asked. So we'd go look at when we were expanding, we have six offices now. Wow. And really cool. we were going to look to expand working with um, commercial brokerages and the teams and the developers, you know, I'd come up big group of men and I got questions like, well, who are we waiting for? Oh, it's me. (laughs) You know, or you want to go home and talk to your husband about it? I'm not married. You know, like these things like this, this like, I guess you call them, you know, some people call them microaggressions or whatever it is. It's after a while, you just really notice just like, man, things have not, oh, things quite have not changed as much as, you know, I was aware of and, and, you know, and it, and it's really reminded me to use my voice too and speak up and help support other women because, you know, I, I really was blind to it before starting in here and, and, you know, and you see how much that women really have to overcome to be taken seriously in, you know, the, in some circles and, and I want to do everything I can to, to change that narrative. Yeah. Yes. I, when you paint those pictures, I totally can see it. Mm -hmm. I, I think it happens so often. And I even see it like when my husband and I go grocery shopping or like when we pick out furniture, they're always like kind of making eye contact with him when it comes to the sale, but they're talking to me when it comes to like the style and all this. And I'm, and that's fine. Like in the moment I'm like, Oh, whatever. I am concerned about the color and the size and all these things that I want to make sure fit within our space. But then when it comes down to like pulling out the credit card, like they kind of just expect him to pull it out. Yep. And I'm like, okay, well, hold on. I'll grab mine. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same, but sure. <laughs> yeah. I'll, for just this whole thing, I'll just be like, no, no, no you keep your wallet in your oh, pocket, yeah. baby. I got this. He's got this. Ugh, it's look at me. Yeah. I have boobs and I can pay. <laughs> <laughs> it's this neat thing I do. It's weird. Oh, I, I like know. to have a stylish house and yeah. I have an opinion about finances. Yeah. Is that okay? I know. Is that well, all right? Um, having been single for so many years, I, that's just, I feel like that this is another, like the world just doesn't know what to do, do with you. And, um, I had a, um, I was dating a guy for a while who was a really talented chef and um, he answered the door and I had it to um, a business consultant that I was working with at the time and um, he went back and back into the kitchen. He was working on a project and, and the consultant pulled me aside and he was like, so um, what's it like dating a guy who doesn't make as much money as you? <laughs> I almost died. I was like, I don't know what's it like for your wife? Like, <laughs> I don't, I, you know, and, it's, and all of a sudden I realized, well, your expectation for, for me of like, 
who even I get to date, who I get to love, who, you know, who yeah. I get to be, what I get to wear, what I have to, it's just like, it's exhausting. Yeah. It's really exhausting. And well, I, it's got to be exhausting for the men too, because we are all losing in these stereotypes. Right. I know. And we're all just like the subject of like this thing or this bubble that society has put on us, you know, like they always say like, oh, they say, and I'm like, you know, I'd really like to meet they or them, whoever it is <laughs> yeah. that's like putting us yeah. into these like mm -hmm. categories and boxes because they have it all wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and we need to talk about this. But my husband and I, when we had our little one, we went through a shift where I was like, okay, well, I kind of want to go back to work. And he was going back to work. And then I ultimately decided to stay home. And then we had kind of have a weird story, but he ended up quitting too. And when it was like time to like, okay, well, what are we going to do with our lives? It was weird how much pressure he felt like he had to go back to work. Mm -hmm. And I thought in my mind, like, it doesn't have to be like that. Yeah. It's just, that's what you see the majority of, Yeah. but it doesn't have to be that way. There are lots of parents that do it differently and lots of different examples. We just don't see those as much. Yeah. Because yeah. majority of the time, it's a stay-at-home mom, and that's just what works for the family. Yeah, yeah. Well, when I joined the Entrepreneurs Organization, it's a really amazing organization, but there are businesses that have scaled. I mean, only 4% of U.S. companies ever break the million-dollar mark, and so you you have to have a million-dollar revenues to, to to join EO. So, so you're with a, um, a peer group of pretty successful business people, and when I first joined years ago, um, we had about 10% women. And I remember looking around the room, we got the women together and, um, and everyone was divorced, but one. And I think that, I think it is really hard for, I think it's an added stress to relationships. Not that already entrepreneurialism isn't a huge stress mm -hmm. for, for a marriage, um, but you add on the added stress of being a, a woman business leader and entrepreneur. And I think that it's hard for, for both couples. You know, I think it's yeah. really hard to stand firm and like, no, this works for us. And this is, you know, and you want to support each other to realize our dreams. I think there's a lot of judgment on, on both sides. Mm -hmm. And, and honestly too, I can't tell you the amount of times, you know, like I'm, I'm over this now, but the first few years just feeling like, it's so not fair. Like all the, like a lot of the men had stay at home wives that helped. And I was like, I want a wife. Yeah. I, I want someone that does that. I want someone that does my, you know, that helps with, you know, the calendar and play dates and, and, you know, and there's having the home operating smoothly. And, yeah. you know, as I'm out here trying to do some like major things in the, in the area of business and there's not a lot left over yeah. sometimes after that. And mm -hmm. so, um, so, you know, I think that into your point, coming back to like figuring out what works for you as a, yeah. as a, as a mom and what works for you and your family, cause you do, you need support. And, um, I think, you know, men have been much more comfortable for longer, like getting that partner that's just can be that hundred percent support. And there's mm -hmm. so much respect for, for that position as a woman. And I think men have had to fight a little harder for the same respect and oh, yeah. status as stay at home dads to, you know, to support, um, to support the women in their lives. Yeah. Yeah. What's been the biggest challenge of being a single mom and running a business? Mm, biggest challenge good question um, I don't know there's parts of it that parts of it that are easier mm -hmm. so you don't have to negotiate with some, you know yeah. like someone else like we're doing this I was like was, we're doing it but um, I think it's I don't know. I mean, I think that there could be, I, I'm a community builder. Like I, that is just, you, you, I just, I just think that that's what I was put on earth to do is mm -hmm. build community mm -hmm. and, um, bring people together and build community. Um, and so I've been really good about, I, I would say, you know, like what can be hard to single, you know, loneliness, support, that type of thing. But I've, worked really hard to build friends around me and relationships where I could get support. Um, and I've been lucky with success in business that I've been successful enough. I could also hire support when I, mm -hmm. when I've needed it. And I, and I've definitely utilized that. Um, 
And I think, yeah, I really, I really think it's more just about the, the, the attitudes. I'd say the thing that's been hardest for me is, and it's something that I've gotten since I was, um, a teenager that I've kind of had to, you know, work through with the therapist, work through myself is this message that I've gotten that is like, who, you know, like, gosh, who be your partner? You're too much. You're Mm. so much like this message that like, somehow who I am is outside the scope of normal human experience Mm. or makes me somewhat unlovable or difficult to love because I'm an ambitious woman where I wish the opposite message had been given to me. It was just like, this is what makes you lovable Mm. because it's who you are and it's amazing and it's a light and a special. And I know that you know, and in on most of my good days and in good feelings, like I know that, but that, that, um, message has creeped in a few times. And, and I still get that just a few weeks ago. Um, I have a new, um, partner in my life and love in my life. And, you know, and someone was saying, well, have you guys, you know, have you really explored, like, if, if, if what you do and who you are in the community is going to make him feel threatened, And it's just like, oh, wow, it's that message again. You know, Mm. is who you are just going to be too much for this person to, Mm. like, handle or love? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that really doesn't have to do much with the the kids. It's more personal. I'm on myself and it has about being a single, I think, um, successful female. But I also think when you enter into being a single mom, I do think that there's probably some of that self-talk that happens no matter Mm -hmm. what Mm -hmm. type of, like, realm you're in in the business world or wherever my sister's a single mom and um I do know that's been a big challenge just with like not so much like I don't I guess she doesn't really open up too much about that part but you could definitely tell there was like parts of her that was like okay now I have a kid yeah and now I have to go back into this like dating world so there was a lot of that she kind of carried in which I think in turn what made her so much more awesome was that now she was a rock star mom yeah. to this girl and there was like even more things to love about her yeah like she's very yeah. lovable but now she's like a really good mom to this really sweet girl and that's also very attracting and lovable to somebody too right something yeah. that she thought was going to be oh, a big burden absolutely has now turned into a big asset so I I just think that that could be really hard yeah because now you're like walking back into these uncharted territories because you're back in the dating world but you're a mom and what does that look like and yeah I mean most of the story most of it is like the fear just stories we're telling ourselves because I know that for me dating the thing that will attract men to me is that what an amazing mom I am Mm. and I know so many men that especially if they're um if they have children um, that wouldn't, that a lot of them are seeking women that already know how to be moms and that, you know, like, like they don't want to go back, like, you know, and, um, and yeah, and I've, and none of the men I've actually dated have had kids, but they've all, I've been surprised at like, what a bonus that they feel like it is that I have kids, but the story in my head, you know, I think is, oh, oh, this is a sign of my failure you know I had a failed marriage or Mm. this is this could be a strike against me or there's like these you know these things but it's like oh that's actually quite been the opposite experience but um yeah we're just so often just so hard on ourselves we are I've been working so hard on like positive talk like just being friends with the person inside my head like I just can't that's funny the story thing I learned that mm-hmm. from Brene Brown's yeah. episode on Netflix oh yeah the story I'm telling myself is, is. yeah <laughs> that's beautiful I literally take that all the time even yep. when I'm talking to my own self like, yeah I'm always like okay the story you're telling yourself is this that's not the story you want to be telling yourself or that you want your son to hear or your husband like no. you got to get out of your own way with that <laughs> it's but so hard I know this like the uh, I was saying my brain is a cul-de-sac in crazy town you know you're just driving around there and it's like get out like nobody else is even there I will say um a game changer for me with kids in a busy life and career has been transcendental meditation I discovered that about five years ago and 
immediately, because I wake up in the morning and I am ready to go. I am thinking about, you know, we're thinking about meetings. I think I'm an investor in real estate. I've got a lot of things going on, boards, the business, the kids, the whole thing. And I'd get, you know, fired up. And now to take 20 minutes and just like ground, I mean, immediately my children started commenting of let's just like how much easier I was to be around in the morning, you know, just like how much more present and how much more patient and how, and um, that 20 minutes in the morning and I do my best thinking then and like things come up, the priority list, it's like, and then stuff can fall away. And then 20 minutes in the afternoon, I tried to do that before transition time, before, you know, we're coming back in for dinner. And then again, I'm like mom again, like Mm. I can leave things behind and, um, yeah, just it, uh, I religiously always get that 20 minutes in the morning, the afternoons, not as much, but all that I can. And, um, and it's just really made a huge difference. Yeah. That's good advice. Yeah. I, I, even if it's not meditation, I think just having like that calm, quiet time, right. If it doesn't have to be super formal, if you're like, I don't want to look into meditation or whatever it is, but I do think getting that time to yourself just yeah. to like reset. Yeah is so important because it helps you with like that negative talk, right? You can sit there and be like, okay, I know I wasn't patient yesterday, but we're going to work on that. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to do this now. Okay. Today I'm going to focus on this. I'm going to be intentional here. So you can start to really plan out what's going to happen before you actually open up your door and yeah, and it just Start starts life. coming at you because yeah. it comes at you fast. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, here's this is the space I that I have to have and that I need. Well, my son's a two, so still a toddler, so he's my alarm clock. Yep. <laughs> so he he just comes at me. Yeah. I don't really have a lot of time, but I do yep. know that I need to take that time in the morning because I know the days I do get to when he sleeps yeah. in magically. It is just like a world game of difference. Changer, yeah, you know? game changer. And yeah, that's another thing I wish I had known. It, you know, going back, if I have more kids now, I definitely, I'll have such a different perspective because whatever stage my kids in when they were little, I thought it'd kind of be like that forever. And now mm. having gone through, you know, 12 years of like, oh, they all go by so fast. And I know people say that, but I just, I was, there were so many times while they were growing up that I was like, oh my God this like how am I ever gonna you know how will I survive how will I do this how Mm -hmm. do people get to 18 it's like oh because it's like this now it'll be different in a couple months or in a year and then it's different again and it's it's so yeah it's so evolving yeah it is each day is different I feel like and that's why I think it's so important that we do have positive talk as moms because each day something new is thrown at us whether it be a new season in their life whether it be Um, something in like outside world that we don't really have a lot of control over and no one's given us a handbook. No one wakes you up in the morning and they're like, this is what your day is going to look like. So why don't you think about how you're going to respond to those actions? Okay. And then you can go deal with them. It's like, no, they just happen. So human response, right? Maybe you're frustrated. You didn't have a lot of patience or you're scared or whatever it is. And that's okay. Just be kind to yourself and be like, okay, I experienced that for the first time today. Let me just rethink how I would do that next time. Yeah, I think, um, well, I talk about this a, a lot. So I, my background, what what helped set me up, I think, for, for business and for entrepreneurship was that I was in an all-girls punk band. And I did that right after, right after college. I started a punk band with um, three of my girlfriends. We traveled all over the country. We played for a few years, and I wound up playing in bands uh, probably for a total of five years after that. And um, that was the first awakening and the first experience I had at having a place where it was safe to fail. Mm. And I think as moms, we have to realize, like, you're right. We don't get a handbook. And so we're not experts. Mm -hmm. We're going to fail every day. Like, we're going just to to fail. And I think that the thing that I'm trying to give my daughters now is that we do a thing at dinner time. Every, Every night at dinner, I ask you, I ask them three questions. How are you kind today? how did you fail today and how were you brave today? Mm. And a lot of times they're all wrapped up into one thing, especially being brave and failing. And, um, and I just want them to know that I expect that they're going to fail every day. And that's just a part of it. And let's yeah. look for where you failed and let's mm-hmm. talk about it. Right. Because if a failure, you know, a failure is only a failure if you didn't learn anything from it anyway. Right. And we don't, 
and that's like entrepreneurship. I mean, that's what they say, fail fast and, you know, small, small teams get in there so you can try things and then, you know, fail and move on. And, 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 but we're not taught that at school. And as little girls, I think we get this messaging of like, be quiet, raise your hand, know the answer, don't look dumb, you know, all these things. And so for me, going into this girl's punk band, and the, the beautiful part about punk rock music is you don't have to know how to play your instrument. You just have to be willing to get up on stage and scream it, you know, scream something you believe in. Yeah. And none of us really knew how to play our instruments. I'd played French horn and trumpet growing up, so I think I had the most music experience out of every anyone. But, yeah, I wasn't even playing much of an instrument. I played, kind of wailed on the guitar sometimes and was the front person. And um, my girlfriend, who had a beautiful singing voice and grew up singing in church, played guitar, and Sally played bass, and Kate was on drums, and um, and people loved us because we were terrible. Yeah. Like, it was so authentic and mm. real, and we were having fun, and they, you know, and at, at the time, it was like, there were really no women playing um, that, type, that type of music, and so... We got invited to, you know, to be on stage with all sorts of amazing bands, traveled all over the country. And, you know, it's this arena where, like, I would try something or I'd fall off the stage and people catch you or they cheer louder. Like, it's like the one (laughs) arena where, like, oh, my gosh, you're a hot mess. That's even better. And it just felt like so much freedom. And I feel like now there's just all these lessons that I pull forward from that experience to running the business or to, you know, like, or, you know, stage, stage diving, be like, oh, it didn't work out the way I wanted it to, but move on. <laughs> um, that, you know, I don't know that I would have been able to, um, to start the business and kind of have the compassion, the energy and all the rest of it that I have for myself and for, and for the business, had I not had that experience of it being really safe. Yeah. To just make a hot mess of things sometimes and keep rocking. It's hard to find that place. Yeah. To be safe. Even like in mom's groups that I've joined. Yeah. It you just know there are some moms who feel maybe a little bit more safe than others. Yeah. And it's just that's a hard place. But I definitely agree that when you find a group like that, you gotta yeah. stick with them. Yeah. And, and how, learn what you can. And I think for all of us to think about like how are we gonna foster that with our own kids? I mean, for me, I've been volunteering with an organization here in town called the Rock and Roll Camp for Girls, and it's about empowering women. Um, it's an empowerment camp, really, self-esteem camp, but they hide it with rock and roll. Like, girls mm. don't know that's what they're getting, but that's what they're getting. Yeah. Um, or they know what they're getting. But, um, and, you know, and it's like these arenas, you know, not every girl's an athlete, so I think sports is another place that you get it. And they have all these, have these all of these, um, studies that show 97% of women who wind up in C-suite executive positions in companies play team sports. Mm. Like that has more to say with your success rate than anything else. Is that, can you work in a team? Were you used to supporting people? Did you go for things and miss it, right? It's failure, that's teamwork. Um, but not every girl, you know, is is an athlete. So what about the iconoclast? You know, it's like, so yeah. is it rock and roll? Is it, you know, how do we create safe places for our kids to fail? How are we, I'm the only parent in my neighborhood. You came, you're in my neighborhood today. You were saying how beautiful it is. It's beautiful. It's safe. It's gorgeous. I'm the only parent in the entire neighborhood that lets their kid walk to the school bus stop alone. I mean, we have to start letting the kids, like, yeah, f- fail, be independent, try some things, you know, yeah. walk to the school bus by themselves. Yeah, <laughs> for know? sure. I, but I think it's so hard because we as women, I don't know if you ever heard of Brave Not Perfect, mm-hmm. um, the Girls mm-hmm. Who Code, started by Reshma. Yeah. Uh, she wrote a book called Brave Not Perfect. She did a really famous TED talk that I watched and fell in love with her. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's just like how we are taught from the very beginning is like we have to be perfect. Yeah. And if we step out of that, it's like you are not, your worth has now gone down. Yeah. And so I think it's so hard because it's like how do you break that cycle? Yeah when it's just ingrained in you, you know, like I listened, she has a podcast now and I listened to her talk to these, um, entrepreneurs or, you know, different types of people that are moms and how they talk to their girls and different things that they say. And when they describe what they do, I'm thinking in my mind, like I would do that. And I wouldn't even notice that I was doing it. Right. And sometimes I even do with my son. And so I'm like, Oh, I gotta be careful with him too. But 
it's just like, where do you draw the line when it's like running through your blood? Oh, uh, and yeah. you can't like shut it off. We're so conditioned. One of the things that rock and roll camp for girls taught me was that we never talk about people's appearances. That's actually really hard. We, as women, we have been socialized. You look great today. Oh yeah. You know? And so I remember I came into a rock camp board meeting and I'd cut off all my hair and one of the women was like, oh, your decision-making process that led you to cut off your hair, you're brilliant. And I was like, that? Now that felt a whole lot better than like, oh, your your haircut's cute. Yeah. But, you know, and it was like, oh, she complimented like how I came to the decision. Like, you yeah. know, you kind of, you really had to challenge each other though, because you know, how often do, you know, do people do that to, to girls too? Oh, yeah. you're so sweet. And then, you know, and then with the brother or whatever, like, oh, you're going to be a football star one day. Yeah. You know, it's not about the appearances. So being really careful about the messages that we give girls and, and yeah, perfectionism. Oh, I, I had one of the most powerful experiences of my life. I actually hosted a, um, a coach in our, uh, development coach in our office. And, um, she asked everybody in the, um, at the company, we write three things that were going well and three things that weren't. Three things we'd like to work on, three, three things that we were proud of. And everyone starts writing immediately. And I'm like, wow, gosh, I've got my three things I want to work on. But like, I don't know, like I, like I cannot think of three things, you know, and so that are going well. And, and, um, and so finally everyone gets done and she's about to start the, the, the talk again. And I raised my hand and I was like, I was having a really hard time. Can you help me? She just with like all the love and compassion in her heart was like, are you the owner? Are you who you're who's hosting us today? Right. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, so as a really ambitious entrepreneur type of personality, when you heard three things that were going well, did you hear three things that were perfect? And I was like, oh my God, I did. Like mm. that stopped me. Like I already, I interpreted, of course I had three things going well. Right? Like we're yeah. in the office that I own. I just bought the commercial building we're sitting in. That's mm. going well. This business is going well. The, yeah. the fact that we had all these people show up to our event was going well. And she really like helped illuminate for me, like what's the experience of being in my own body like oftentimes? Mm. Like what yeah. am I hearing? That that's not what she was saying. Yeah. How liberating might it be to feel like the rest of the people that immediately could be like, yeah, three things going well. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm stuck on it. And also what is the experience of other people? And this is what I took most to heart. What is the experience of other people around me? That here I am embodying all this success and I'm stuck on what's going well. Mm. How are fe people going to feel around me if I hold myself to that? To yeah. that level, are they going to feel like what's going well is good enough if it's not good enough for me? And so I feel like when we ask, like, what can we do about the perfectionism or what can we do, you know, it's like part of it, I've taken it on is like, I can be kinder to others sometimes than to myself and to remember, like, how can I empower others to know that it's okay not to be perfect. Well, I can be super vulnerable right now and I can tell people how I messed up. I can tell people I'm scared. I can tell people, you know, I can like share the high joys too mm. and let people know, hey, it's okay to take time off and do things for yourself. And, you know, and all of these things that like, if I can live really honestly and full of joy and full of vulnerability, like that's going to empower the people around me mm -hmm. to know that like they've got it too. So I almost felt like for me, I had to like turn it inside out and make it like an, a, a radical um, declaration for others. Yeah. You know? I was like, I'm going to allow my, myself this. I'm going to allow myself grace because in doing that, I can free that up for, for others. Yeah. I think it's so important for leaders to do that, but especially female leaders mm -hmm. for everything you just said. Yeah. I just think it's such a risky place for us to be to say things that make us nervous or scared or, you know, share that vulnerable side. Cause that's when we are looked upon as weak. Yeah. And so when you do that, you're not even just doing the like brave, not perfect. You're doing the like, no, no vulnerability is actually a strength. Like yeah. look where this will take me. Yeah. Watch what I'll do with this because I can empower you. I can change your mind. I can, um, inspire you to keep going just because I can be vulnerable. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. I cannot thank you enough for all your time. Oh, thank you. Um, I have one last question. Okay. As being a punk star, 
I was going to say a rock star, but then you said punk bands. I feel like a punk star is like really what you are. Dirty little punk rocker. Stage diving, which sounds awesome, by the way. I'd like to see some footage of this. I know. Oh, thank God. It was before before Facebook and YouTube. Yeah, no live videos oh happening. Oh, my gosh. No, yeah. yeah. Well, with all of that, being an entrepreneur, being a mom, running this successful business, continuing on growing your success, single mom life. Like what is your one piece of advice you would want moms to take away from this episode? Oh, um, I, you know, it's the, it's the thing I have to tell myself. It's that, that everything you have is enough. The, the people in front of you that have achieved where you're trying to go or doing what you think you want to do, they don't know anything that you don't. They don't have anything you don't. The only difference is that they just did it. And um, I've had to learn that lesson, and I'll learn that lesson again. I've learned it so many times again and again that um, I think that, you know, I think that um, I get I get to where I wanted to be, and then I, I'm there at the table, and then I realize, oh, like, no one here, there was no big secret. It was like my own limitations on myself mm-hmm. that kept me away from that kept me away from this table and like my feelings of having to earn it or that there was you know some secret or they knew somebody or had something or you know and and, and over and over again I realized no it was just like declaring that you were going to do it and do it and that's really you know ninety percent of of all of it yeah. That's so good. Well, thank you so much. I know you're very busy, so I appreciate oh, all your time. Yeah. Thank you, Sarah. Um, Thanks for coming. I know that there's a lot of mompreneurs out there. Yes. Who are going to love to hear this episode. Oh, good. So good. good. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening. I hope you loved it. Please subscribe to this podcast so you can get the latest episodes and tell us what you think about it in the reviews. And mamas, I love you.